Hi there, I'm Imlin Miles Manning, your host for the Minority Money Podcast. I'm glad you're here. You know why? Because this is the place where you can come for your weekly finance, family, and fitness motivation to not only experience the success in those areas yourself, but to help others in our community achieve greatness as well. I'm super happy to get on with the show, so let's get going. Welcome to the Minority Money Podcast. I'm your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, owner and founder of Gen Next Wealth, a financial planning and investment firm located in the Central Valley. Today, couldn't be more excited. I know I say that all the time, but every guest brings a certain level of excitement, and today's guest brings even more excitement. Today, we are going to be joined with the one Kwame Christian. He's the director of the American Negotiation Institute where he conducts negotiation and conflict management workshops around the country. As an attorney and a mediator with a Bachelor's of Arts in Psychology, a Master's in Public Policy, and a law degree, Kwame brings a unique multidisciplinary approach to making difficult conversations easier. In addition to his role with the American Negotiation Institute, Kwame also serves as a professor at Ohio State University. He's the author of a best-selling book, No One Will Play With Me, How to Use Compassionate Curiosity, to find confidence in conflict. His TEDx talk, Finding Confidence in Conflict, was the most popular TED talk on the topic of conflict in 2017. He also hosts a top podcast named Negotiate Anything and has over 1 million downloads. Get that. He has over 1 million downloads and he's listened to in over 183 different countries. So without further ado, Kwame Christian. Hey, Emlyn, thanks for having me, man. It's, thank you for coming on. Like, I, I'm sitting here and I, I'm reading or, or list, like just going through your stuff and, and my usual internet stocking of, of my of my guests to do some research. And, and man, you, you're doing some incredible things. And, and I think it would be great for our listeners just to hear a little bit about you. Like, I, I know I said some stuff, but give, give us a little bit about your journey. Yeah, so I'm a business lawyer by trade, but I love psychology. So you saw my my undergrad degrees in psych, and I my passion is teaching. I love teaching people things, and so and the American Negotiation Institute gives me a great outlet to teach people all around the country different tactics and strategies to help them become more confident in conflict and learn negotiation techniques so they can get more of what they deserve in their business deals and in their personal life too. So it's been a lot of fun, really fun journey. And, you know, like with any professional journey, it's never a straight line, There's a lot of squiggles, <laughs> but um, I've been learning to enjoy the squiggles and roll with them. So it led me to this point and I'm awesome. Happy. Awesome. Now I heard you're from, you're from the Caribbean, right? Yeah. So my family's from the Caribbean. I'm first generation American. So I was okay. born here, but just one generation okay. removed. Awesome. awesome. So I, it was on your TEDx talk. I was listening to that. There, there are certain things that you just, you just, you just love and you don't want someone to touch. I think it was some cereal you talked about. I'm not, I'm not, was, was it, what cereal is that? And what, what, if I ever have the chance to see you, I'll make sure I have a box with me. So I bring you some. <laughs> Absolutely. I, you know, it's not a cereal. It is oh, a yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that is a cinnamon toast crunch. I have it on tap at all times. <laughs> cinnamon toast crunch. We all have, we all have that cereal that we don't want anybody to touch. I'm trying to think. I got a couple. Yeah, I, I won't even. I won't even get into that because that's that'll be a long, that'll be a long <laughs> conversation. But today, I wanted to just get into some of the the topic of the podcast today will be the art of negotiating. Obviously, you are very good at negotiating, and I think sometimes 
as people, we do not like, not sometimes, most of the time, we don't even like conflict. Just right. avoid it at like, you know, avoid it like it like it's a disease. But there is ways to deal with this. And, and I like one of the things you talked about with your compassionate curiosity. And you had some examples of that in your TED talk. And, and so first thing I wanted to just jump right in and say, why is the ability to negotiate so important? The ability to negotiate is important because you're doing it all the time. Whether you want to or not, these these conversations are happening. And so I like a broad definition of negotiation. And so the one that I use is any conversation where somebody in the conversation Mm -hmm. wants something. That's it. And so when we use that broad definition, we recognize, number one, we're negotiating all the time. And number two, the people with whom we negotiate the most are the people who are closest to us. So our colleagues at work, our friends, our family. All of these conversations that are just everyday conversations are really negotiations. And once we're able to raise our level of negotiation awareness, it makes it easier for us to see these conversations as strategic opportunities. Because before, if we don't think of them as negotiations, then we don't have any signal to utilize the persuasive skills we'll talk about in in this podcast. You're just letting life happen to you. Increasing your recognition helps you to be more proactive about accomplishing your goals and utilizing these small interactions as opportunities. Because nice. I think people are like, okay, so this is a, a podcast we've talked about. I told you a little bit about what it is, minority money, changing the complexion of wealth. And I'm glad that you said that you're negotiating every day because people are thinking, okay, what does negotiation have to do with money or my family? Or Well, because you're negotiating over your money, you're negotiating with your family. Usually you're negotiating with your health, with yourself on what di- dietary things you eat. So I think this fits in very, very well with the mission and purpose of what the podcast is about. So as you said, we always have, we're negotiating all the time, whether we realize it or not. So with that being said, how do you prepare yourself to negotiate with someone? Yeah. So I have a gift for your friends and I'll send you a link for this too. So if you go to AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com slash guide, G-U-I-D-E, you can get a, a link to all of our free negotiation guides. So we have about 20, a salary negotiation guide, a business negotiation guide, conflict resolution guide, introvert negotiation guide, car negotiation guide, all sorts of different guides there. And the reason why we have those is because we need to prepare in order to be successful in these conversations. That's it. And they, I remember one study where they found that they separated people into two groups. One group didn't prepare. The other group did prepare. The group that did prepare was able to get 11% more value for themselves in the negotiation compared to the control group. And then they were also able to create 6% more value for the other side through creating creative options. And so it is the easiest way to improve your outcomes in these difficult conversations. And the thing is, we always say prepare, but people say, okay, well, I mean, what does that mean, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) And so these guides give you a systematic approach to preparation. So you're asking the right questions. And even if you're just taking the time before a conversation, let's say it's a conversation with your spouse and they say, okay, hey, let's chat about this thing. Then you say, all right give me one second, let me shoot off this last text or let me, you know, go close the door, something. Now you, you've bought yourself 30 seconds to think through what your goal is, what their goal is, and some questions you can ask in the middle of the conversation to, to move the needle forward. You, whatever you do, you want to take some time to prepare because it'll increase the, the likelihood of success 
And number two, it'll make you feel calmer and you, you'll feel more controlled in the interaction. See, and, I, and I'm glad you talked about being calm and being controlled in the interaction because I think it was Mike Tyson that said it, to quote Mike Tyson, but he said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face, right? Or punched in the mouth, mm-hmm. I think he said. I, I, I think that's what he said. It was one, yeah. either the face or mouth until you get punched. I mean, it messes up everything. <laughs> but the reason why I say that is because we've all been in preparing to negotiate, you know, and usually it's either a family member or maybe it's your boss or, you know, just, just someone that you're like, I'm going to talk to this person. I'm going to get ready to talk to them. And then your emotions hijack every plan that you had because you got hit in the mouth with something that you weren't expecting. So h- how would you manage your emotions during those tough conversations? Because I think that is probably one of the toughest parts of the negotiating is to, I don't know if you can remove all the emotion, but to be tactful with it. But, but how do you manage your emotions during that t- difficult conversation? I tell you, Emlyn, when it comes to these workshops that I give in, in different parts of the country, no matter what industry it's in, that's something that comes up. How do I manage my own emotions in these conversations? So quick psychology nerd moment. Um, what we're dealing with, like I, I like how you said the word hijack because they call it an amygdala hijack. That's the part of your brain that's in the limbic system that's in charge of emotional responses. And so we're quick to respond to perceived threats. And that's the part of the brain that's going to trigger the fight or flight response. And so when we're in that type of situation, not only do we have that type of automatic emotional response, but our body is also flooded with a stress hormone mm-hmm. called cortisol. So we're not even thinking straight. So we're emotional and not as smart <laughs> as usual. <laughs> so, so it's not good, which again speaks to the importance of preparation. So preparation is a big part of it, making sure that you have thought through these things. So when the conversation comes up, you already know how you're going to respond. You want to pre-think as much of the conversation as possible. The next thing is with my framework, uh, the Compassionate Curiosity Framework, it's a three-part framework um, where you acknowledge and validate emotions, then you engage in compassionate curiosity, so get curious with compassion, and then you engage in joint problem solving. And the cool thing about that framework is that the compassionate curiosity framework could be flipped internally as well. So this is something you do before the conversation when you start to feel yourself getting emotional about it. So what is it that I'm feeling? Okay, I'm upset. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. Acknowledge that. Then ask yourself the question compassionately, because a lot of times we're, we're our worst judge. We're so critical of ourselves and that negative self-talk brings us down. So we say, listen, so why, Kwame, I'm talking to myself now, why are you feeling this way? What led you to this situation, right? And so then in the last step, joint problem solving, you might ask yourself, if I'm talking to myself, what, like, who else is involved? And so that's where you're getting your heart and mind on the same page. Because there are going to be some things that you care about emotionally, and you need to be able to recognize and it's a, that it's an emotional need or want, and then some things that you need substantively. And so sometimes the correct answer from the outside looking in might do you too much damage emotionally. You say, listen, that's not me. I can't, I'm not going to compromise that part of myself. It it conflicts with my values or something that I care about. You want to know that before you engage in the conversation. So you know what your boundaries are, right? So that process of self-awareness, acknowledging your own emotions is, is critical. And then the next part about that is finding a way to calm yourself down in in the moment. Something that I like to do is kind of a a meditation mindfulness technique called progressive muscle relaxation. So typically what you would do is by yourself, you take a deep breath, 
you inhale and then you tense up a certain muscle. So you might start with your toes, tense your toes up as much as possible, then relax. And so that contrast helps you to feel what relaxation typically feels like. So for me, I recognize when I'm getting emotional, I typically carry tension in my back and shoulders and chest. That's where I feel it. So during the conversation, I intentionally start to slow down my breathing and be mindful about on every exhale, I'm going to try to relax the tension in my chest, back and shoulders and become more and more relaxed. But you have to figure out what it is that that grounding mechanism for you to get yourself out of your head. Because once you start focusing on your, your environment a little bit more and more mindful about how you're feeling and your environment, it takes you out of your head and you start to feel less emotional. It's incredible that you bring up mindfulness and the meditation practice. That's something that I try to do. And I talk about it pretty often, pretty frequently about being mindful. Until you can be more mindful and self-aware, I think it's going to be incredibly difficult for you to be able to manage your own emotions. You can only, you start to react instead of respond, right? And the reason why I say react is because if you ever have to take some medicine, you have a reaction, that's not good. Right. But if the body responds to the medicine, in this case, we're talking about a conversation, it's going to be very well received. And so I, I know we're talking about it in like kind of a, a broad topic, like, like just kind of like, you know, generalizing what this is, but can you give us some examples? I think you had a, a good one on the Ted talk where you were engaging with a, an individual, I think it was a sales project that you were doing. And then he was a little upset and you started to get a little upset and then you did what you just talked about. So can you take the, the listeners through that? Because I think, I think being able to hear, hear what you're saying generally, and then see a practical application of the practice that you're talking about would be great for them. Absolutely. So in that situation, I was negotiating, um, I think it was a lease negotiation, and the guy was really frustrated about the whole situation. Now, when you're in these conversations, you need to recognize that there's a difference between a substantive need and an emotional need. They're not the same thing. Whenever you see the specter of an unproductive emotion in the other person, you need to take the time and acknowledge that emotion and validate the emotion before you can move forward. Because if you start talking about logic, rules, policies, facts, even facts, they are not cognitively ready to receive that message. It doesn't matter how right you are. So you need to take the time to address it. So in that situation, what I did was I said, it seems like you're really frustrated about this situation. Can you tell me more about that? And the thing is, when you label the other person's emotions by using terms like it seems like, it sounds like, or if I were in your situation, I would feel blank. Identifying that opens up the floodgates where they are more willing to share. And in order for them to label that emotion themselves, they have to use a part of their frontal lobe, the prefrontal cortex, in order to label that emotion, which means they have to think logically about it, which starts to pull them out of the amygdala hijack that they're in. And so that's why I say asking questions is such a powerful technique because in order... So I was going to jump in right there because I know we're talking about the amygdala amygdala and the prefrontal cortex. So the amygdala is like the oldest part of the brain, right? The primal part of the brain, the part that's going to that's going to, you know, that's going to give you the adrenaline dump and like fight, flight, or freeze. Correct. Now the prefrontal cortex is the most developed part of the brain, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. So this is where the intellectual capability is going to happen. Exactly. So you're going to process your thoughts. I'm saying this for not only for myself, but for the listeners. So we, cause I know 
when when I hear those kind of things, I'm like, oh, here they here they go talking about all this stuff. What does that actually mean? <laughs> so I wanted to make sure that I was able to jump in. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I wanted to make yeah, sure no, I jumped I appreciate in that. and say so. So basically, we're taking you from your primal nature to your more refined intellectual capability of processing information. And so when you're in this conversation with someone, they're typically in that fight or flight mode with ready to fight you. And then you're taking some time and say, it sounds like, it feels like, and now you're giving empathy, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so now they're like, oh, okay, this person sees where I'm at. And so then they can actually take a breath and say, well, let me explain to you. And so now they're transitioning from the one part of their brain, which is, you know, the fight or flight to the actual other part of it. Right. Precisely. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Okay. No, that's brilliant. That is a brilliant synopsis. Okay. And so now it helps people to understand why sequencing these conversations in that way is so important. Because a lot of times we run away from not only our own emotions, but the emotions of other people. We want to try to find a way around it. No. But what's the, the, the counterintuitive part about this is that you actually have to lean into that emotion. <laughs> you need to give them the opportunity to get it out of their system so they can make that transition. And then once you start to recognize that there are fewer um, examples or signals that they are in that emotional response, that emotional state, then you can transition into your higher level points. But it doesn't make sense to say something brilliant if somebody can't even think about what is, yeah. <laughs> what is brilliant. Right. So in that, in that, with that story, you said, so you, I, before I interrupted, I think you were saying you, you, you had just got to the part where you were saying, well, it sounds like, and you were mm -hmm. explaining it. So can finish that story. I thought it was great. Oh, yeah. I don't want the listeners to miss that. <laughs> he said, so I said, yeah, it sounds like you're really frustrated about this. And he went on. He's like, yeah, I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated because of this, that, and the other. So I said, yeah, it sounds like you, you worked really hard on it. And it's frustrating for you to be in this situation because it's, it seems as though you're the bad guy, even though you're sitting here trying, trying your best. Exactly. And so he goes on, right? You want to identify that. So it's not just acknowledging the emotion, but also validating the emotion. And really, when it comes down to validation, all you're letting them know is that it makes sense. What you're saying that that makes sense. Okay. I might not agree with you. Mm -hmm. And that's the distinction. You don't need to agree with the person in order to show that you understand them. Mm -hmm. So you say, yeah, from your perspective, you're seeing X, Y, Z. That makes you feel this way because you want to accomplish that goal. Is that a fair synopsis? Yeah, that makes sense. That's it. And it's incredible how calm people can get once they feel like they're they're understood. And so what was the result of that conversation? Because now, now, now he understands that you understand him. So what, what happened next? Yeah. So this is the, the really cool part about this, this process. When you ask great question. So we're looking for open-ended questions. Who, what, where, when, and how. Try to avoid why, especially in conflicts, <laughs> because why is associated with, with judgment. Mm -hmm. You think about it, if you're a little kid, you spill something and you're, your parent is like, why? Mm -hmm. Why would you do that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. So for a long time, why is associated with judgment. But we want to ask questions that give them a, an opportunity to, give, to provide a narrative response. I want you to elaborate on this stuff. And also saying, tell me more about this, help me to understand that. Those are bonuses too. And so when you ask questions in the right order, you can create a scenario where the other side persuades themselves. You help them to look at the situation differently. And then they say, they start to adjust. And people want to take ownership yeah. of the decisions that they make. And if you're just bullying them with fact after fact, after reason, after reason, then they just might say, listen, I'm, I'm trying to make a point here. It doesn't seem like you're listening. You just want me to change my position. That's it. 
But instead, if you come around it from the other side and you're asking them questions, you can lead them to your preferred conclusion. And at the end, they think it's their idea. Mm -hmm. You've been following me around because I'm a fact man. Like, <laughs> I, I'm, I, this is facts. Like, I don't want to move, remove the emotion. I even say that. I, this has nothing to do with emotion. This is the facts. This is what's going to happen. <laughs> My wife's going to like that when she hears this. <laughs> so one of the things I wanted to talk about, so as we, as we're looking at the, like last month we had women's equal pay day was like April, I mean, I'm sorry, August 26th for black women. And there's some other dates. I don't, I don't know all the dates. I know Latino women has ha theirs have passed already. And, and I'm not, I'm sure you, you're familiar with the equal pay. So mm -hmm. what I wanted to bring up was because, and just give some, to give some context with this, like a lot of, a lot of people that listen to the show are going to be first, you know, first generation people that graduated from college, right? First people in their family to graduate from college, first one to graduate from high school in some cases. And now we've gone to school, we have a degree, and now we're going to go work. And the first thing we're going to do is we're probably going to be the first one to have this professional type job. We're not going to be working at a, at a factory. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm just saying like our parents had worked at those kind of jobs. And now we actually are going into some type of corporate role. And we're just happy that we got there and don't even think about negotiating our salary and wonder why we're paid less. Now, some of it's systemic, some of it's, you know, uh, driven by other things. But the fact that we don't even attempt to have a salary negotiation, I think, is, is not good. And so as we're trying to change the complexion of wealth here, I think talking about how to negotiate your salary and downloading the ne salary negotiation tool on the American Institute of Negotiation website, which we'll have, we'll have the link for that in the show notes as well as in the Facebook community. So we will have that available for you there. But can you talk to us about how to negotiate salaries? Yeah. So this is going to sound super profound and deep, but <laughs> step one, you need to ask for it. <laughs> That's it. That's number one. And here's the thing. A, the, the, ma the majority of people fail at step one. Mm -hmm. They just don't ask. And so, of course, as somebody, I do implicit bias trainings. I, I did race-based race equity work. Mm -hmm. So I, I understand the systemic barriers. I, I understand the implicit bias that plays a role. These are real barriers. However, the biggest barrier we're going to have is our own lack of negotiation awareness and unwillingness to have these conversations. And so I remember there was a study in a book called Women Don't Ask, a really great negotiation book that talks about the gender dynamics mm -hmm. of in negotiation. And I think it, it corresponds really well when you think about minorities in general. The, the woman who did the study found that uh, men were four times more likely, four times more likely to negotiate their salary offer. Mm. And this led to a discrepancy in the amount that they were paid initially. And based on their study, not mine, this is just me parroting back their work, based on what they found, they said that the gender gap, the wage pay gap could be almost eliminated if women would negotiate at the same rate as men, hmm. just by asking. Wow. And I, I, this is a whole nother thing, and I don't expect you to, to answer that, but I think I'm like, why won't, why won't women do that? And why are minorities less likely to do it? And that's mm -hmm. just like, and I, and I think that it comes just, and I, I think that when I was talking about what I was talking, no research done here on what I said before, but I, I'm just speaking from personal experience. I think that it has a lot to do with, we're just happy to have that kind of job that we've never had before. You think about people of color in the workforce, women in the workforce, and 
we're just happy to be there. Like, we, mm-hmm. and so as long as we're there, we're good. Now, you know, five years later, we're like, wait, hold on. They should be paying me more than this. And we leave, mm-hmm. but we leave to get another <laughs> job and don't negotiate that salary either. Yeah. Cause it's just better yep. than what we had. So then the, it's perpetuated, right? We just go to the exactly. next place and do the same thing. Exactly. And so with, with women, what they found is that it's a lot of the societal barriers where women are from a young age are taught to advocate very aggressively on behalf of other people mm-hmm. for your family, for your community, for your job. You can negotiate on behalf of other people. But when it comes to advocating for yourself, it's not there's a social stigma around that. That's what their studies have shown. Wow. And with minorities, I think it's spot on. I think exact it's exactly what you're you're saying. I don't want to I'm I'm happy. Yeah. And and I think it's about changing the goal line. Yep. Because instead of, of saying, I want to get this job mission accomplished Mm -hmm. it's i want to get this job and get the best deal Mm -hmm. and we're not talking about a trivial amount of money Mm -hmm. here the what we're it's significant Mm -hmm. and so it's significant in terms of at the end of your career Mm -hmm. easily easily this is not even hyperbole you can be it's well over a million dollars that you could be lost Mm -hmm. if you if you do not negotiate your salary because think about it let's say negotiating let's say it's a, a salary of $75,000. It is well within reason for you to be able to negotiate to $80,000, right? Mm -hmm. So that's an extra $5,000 that you you have earned because you took two minutes to write an email Mm -hmm. or took 20 minutes to have a conversation. Mm -hmm. I I don't know. Would you like to work at a rate of $5,000 every 20 minutes? Mm -hmm. I would. That's pretty solid, (laughs) right? Yeah. And so then when you compound that over the course of your lifetime, that's significant. But it's not just that. Every floor is a, every, every floor is a new ceiling, right? So this is, or I should say, every ceiling is a new floor. Once you maximize your um, salary, then that's going to be the starting point for the next one. So you're putting yourself at a weaker negotiating position for the next salary. So it gets even worse. And then, of course, speaking from a, as to a financial advisor, you'd understand this, the opportunity cost of what you can do with an extra $5,000, $10,000 investment every year. Uh, the investment compounds, right? Mm-hmm. So it's easy to see how we're well over a million lost in generational wealth. That's legacy for your family because you just felt uncomfortable asking for what you're worth. Absolutely. Absolutely. So- yeah, I, you knocked that one out. That that's so. Basic. Long story, less long. Negotiate your salary from the beginning. When you get that new job, <laughs> exactly. ask for ask for more money, more money, get more money. That's right. So okay, I wanted to have this one just because this is not only for this this for me kind of personally, but negotiating on purchasing vehicles and houses. Please drop some gems on us for that. Yes. So I'll do a shameless plug here. I have a three-part car negotiation series in the show where I the first episode was me talking, walking people through the research that I did. The second episode was a friend whose father was in the car industry for like 50 years, mm-hmm. where he talked about some of the, the tactics and, and strategies that they use to, against you. Mm-hmm. So I was prepared. And then the third one was a recorded car negotiation where I, because Ohio legally is a single party consent state. Mm. So I, if I consent, I can record people. <laughs> so I, so I uh, called the guy and had the car negotiation. And the car negotiation lasted about 10 minutes on the phone. Mm-hmm. And I almost didn't post it. Mm-hmm. And I almost didn't post it because it was so easy that I thought people would think it was scripted. Mm-hmm. 
I didn't think that people would believe it. Wow. Because earlier in the day, they lowered the cost of the car, car by a few thousand dollars. And then I was able to negotiate significantly more off of it in 10 minutes. Mm. And so the thing was, it was all about timing. So I did my research. I knew what I wanted. I knew the industry and all that stuff. I also, for example, when it comes to timing, I knew that they need, they're trying to hit a quota every month. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. So there will be more desperate for sales at the end, more willing to, uh, to negotiate at the end of the month. That's one thing. Sales are, there's a lot less traffic at the dealerships in the middle of the week. And then there's a lot less traffic when it is raining. Mm -hmm. And so I negotiated <laughs> on the very last day of the month mm -hmm. on a Wednesday at 6 p.m. when it was raining. Nice. So... <laughs> I just needed yeah. to ask. Yeah. And he's like, I surrender. Yeah. That was it. Just because I took the time to do the research and everything before. And so when it comes to these, these car negotiations, do your research, know the industry, know the market, and then try to, and then just ask for it and, and time the, the, the conversation the right way. Mm -hmm. And if you want another easy thing to do, mm -hmm. you can call around different areas, like every dealership in the area that has the car that you want. And just say, hey, I'm looking at eight other dealerships. They have the same car, same specs and everything. And I just have a single question for you. And um, if it works, I'll call you back. I'll show up. If it doesn't, that's fine. What is the very best deal that you can give me on the car? Mm -hmm. Silence. And so now, it, now it's a little bit of game theory because it's not just a one-on-one -on -one negotiation that they have. It's like, okay, I'm actually competing actively in this. So it's not going to be the typical back and forth type of haggle. They need to not only negotiate with you, but also that invisible, invisible competitor. So you will get the most value you can out of those conversations. So you call all of those dealerships, then you get to the two that have the two lowest prices. And so you talk to the person who has the second lowest price and you say, hey, this specific dealership, and you can call out the name, mm -hmm. gave me the offer of $7,000. Mm -hmm. can, can you beat that? Mm -hmm. See if they beat it. Then you call the cheapest one and say, hey, <laughs> this specific dealership gave me this one. Mm -hmm. Can you beat that? Mm -hmm. And so that's a really, really easy way to get them to fight amongst themselves and then get the best deal. And the funny part about that, it all started with just asking. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <You said just. laughs> ask. if, there is, if there is a title for this episode, yeah. just ask. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep, the art of negotiating just ask that's it we, we, we might that might be the title of it i i, I kid you yeah. not that might be the title of it <laughs> I, I like that a lot man that was that was just so simple like i, I don't even like I, I, okay so yeah I, I was i was waiting for it and you said you said you actually have an episode of that and that's on negotiate anything that's your podcast right mm -hmm. negotiate yep. anything. so so that series will be there negotiate anything where you can actually hear that process which i'm gonna listen to it myself we're in the market for a new car and possibly a new house so oh nice we need to negotiate very well <laughs> so like i said before the whole topic of the whole purpose of the podcast is to change the complexion of wealth and i like to end every podcast with these couple of questions and so just wanted to tee them up for you real quick so kwame what motivates and inspires you to grow helping people hmm. That's the goal. I want to consume as much information as possible, learn as much as possible, so I can help as many people as possible. That we, uh, yeah, we, same thing. I, I feel the same way. I, I love it. I love that. Do you think that education plays a big part in wealth building? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I tell you, the uh, the mind is a, is a weapon. 
And the thing is, I realized I've started to learn more after I got my three degrees mm -hmm. because I put myself on a, an aggressive path of self-discovery. Mm -hmm. I'll send you a link to this too. I just posted a video on LinkedIn mm -hmm. to talk, that talks about how I'm able to get through a book per week. And I talk about my process. Uh, it's really, really helpful. And the thing is, when if there's anything that you need to improve about yourself, mm -hmm. there are multiple, multiple books on that, right? You consume the book. They'll give you a ton of different strategies. You play around with it. Not everything will work with, with you, but you take the things that work for you, you keep that, read another book, and play around with those strategies too. It, the thing is that when you consume this information, it needs to actually, it, it needs to re lead to change. Mm -hmm. So information is great. And then you have, information does not become knowledge until it's retained. So you need to retain the information. So I take a lot of notes. And knowledge doesn't become wi wisdom until you take action. So you actually need to take action subsequently. If you're consuming a lot of information, you're remembering it, but not doing anything, then it's, it's just a vanity play. Mm -hmm. It's not creating anything of substance. So you need to put those things in action, acquire the information, retain the information, and actually put it into action. And you'll be able to solve any problem you, you're confronted with. Absolutely. I think that people in general, I'm just making all, and all this stuff has been general, but I think when it comes to reading books, I think people think it takes a long time to read a book. I read 30 minutes a day. And when I make sure that I read 30 minutes a day, I read a book a week. I just do 30 mm. minutes a day. That's all I, I it's not people like you. How do you read a book in a week? I, like, I read 30 minutes a day. I sit down and I actually read it for 30 mm -hmm. minutes. And then I journal every day and I meditate. And I got a whole bunch of things that I, that I try to do from the books that I've read. Everything that I've learned is from books that I read. So, you know, knowledge mm -hmm. is not power. Applied knowledge is power, right? You have to exactly. apply the knowledge that you learn. So I think as you're saying that education plays a big part, you said after you got your three degrees, you learn more through self-discovery. So that is important for people to hear that. Yes, you exactly. just getting a degree. That's good. Don't stop. Mm -hmm. Keep learning. If, if as we, as we wrap up here, if you could offer one piece or pieces of advice to our listeners today, what would that be? <laughs> it will be listen to the negotiate anything podcast <laughs> because that allows me to give them even more advice. <laughs> yeah, nice, nice, nice. I, I'm all for you plugging yourself. I, I, I bring people on. I say plug yourself. I, I like I said. I can't. We can't. I can't help everybody. So listen to the negotiate anything podcast. Was there anything else? Man, it has to be reading. And the, I think about. I think it becomes clearer when you think about it almost in in terms of a magical quest. Mm -hmm. So imagine if you're a journey as somebody who's on a, this magical quest, and you know that there are these the wisest people in the world mm -hmm. and you go and you go on these trips to see the wisest people in the world. And they give you this glowing orb. And they say, this glowing orb is my knowledge here. Take it. And this is the best of me. That's the way I look at books. Mm -hmm. These smartest people in the world after living decades on this planet and achieving high levels of success, they look back on their life and they see, say, what are those things that led me to the success? And they synthesize all of that knowledge, the best of them, in these things called books. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and once you take that knowledge and put it into yourself, then you get the best of them. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, so, it's so obvious, but so incredibly powerful. And I think people miss the power when it comes to books. But I tell you, the, the knowledge that you need is out there. Mm -hmm. You just need to be diligent about doing it. And like you said, 30 minutes a day, mm -hmm. what that sounds like to me is it's a habit. Mm -hmm. You figured out a way to make learning a habit. Mm -hmm. And once it becomes habitual, 
then you don't need to think about it. It's automatic mm-hmm. and it's not a heavy lift, but it takes up. Now, now studies are saying, I think 66 days to form a habit. Mm-hmm. And if you just push through and use discipline and willpower through those 66 days on day 67, it'll feel really easy. Absolutely. Fun fact for you. I'm doing another, reading another book. And to add to what you're saying, scientists, scientists say that after 18 months of doing something, you become addicted to it. So if you can make Ooh. it to 18 months, you will be addicted to that habit that you form. Dude, Emlyn, that makes so much sense. Because here's the situation, because I do audio books. Mm-hmm. So if I'm driving, doing chores, whatever, I'm listening to those books. And I listen at uh, 3.5 times speed. Mm-hmm. So I get through them really quickly. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. If I go two days without a new book, like I finish the book, I'm, I don't know exactly what book I'm going to read. Day two, mm-hmm. no reading. Mm-hmm. I seriously start to get anxious. I really do get anxious. And I would like, I, there are times where I have at a stoplight. Mm-hmm. Just downloaded an audiobook. I, I can't take this mm-hmm. anymore. I'm not listening to music again. Mm-hmm. What's that giving me? Mm-hmm. So, yes, that addictive quality, that is legitimate. Yep. I uh, just, just read it. <laughs> just read I that. Love that. So, I love that. Uh, one thing I wanted to give you the opportunity to do is share all of your social medias so people can find you and follow you. Um, so, where, where can people find you at? LinkedIn and Instagram. Okay. That's it. Okay. And um, what's your, what's yeah. your, what's your LinkedIn obviously is going to be your name is my name. And then Instagram is Kwame dot Christian. Okay. Kwame, well, Kwame underscore Christian, Kwame underscore Christian, Kwame yeah. underscore Christian. And that's Kwame. That's K W A M E. Correct. Okay. Yep. And the Christian spelled the regular way. So I just yep. wanted to say thank you for being on the show today. This was awesome. It was incredible. Hopefully I can save a ton of money uh, when I negotiate my house and my car. And I hope my listeners can do the same thing. And we appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. My pleasure, Emily. I appreciate it. Thank you for the invite. This was fun. Awesome. This is the Minority Money Podcast, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. Until next time, thank you. Another great showdown, but it doesn't have to stop there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast in whatever podcast app you're listening to on now. And give it a good rating, would you? If you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community, Minority Money VIP, to support and to be supported by others just like you. And again, we're super happy to have you. While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it cannot be completely your one-stop shop. I know, I know, that really sucks. But guess what? If you have any questions, or maybe you just like to chat, please reach out to me directly at Imlin at MinorityMoney.com so that we can get to know each other there. Thanks for being here, and we're signing off.